Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host today, Claudia, a research analyst at the Institute. As Chinese investments overseas have increased with the launch of the Belt and Road Initiative worldwide, so has the footprint of Chinese private security companies, making it a multi-billion renminbi industry. Today, it is not unusual for us to hear of large Chinese private security companies like Hua Xingzhou and Beijing Deway Security Services operating abroad. Many observers and analysts have attempted to examine the rise of private security companies with these Chinese characteristics. However, it is still a relatively young and emerging industry. The Chinese legal framework for operations abroad remains unclear. Here at South Asia Chat today, we want to discuss the presence of Chinese private security companies in South Asia, particularly in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and the challenges they face. It is my pleasure to be joined in this session by Dr. Alessandro Arduino, Principal Research Fellow at the Middle East Institute, National University of Singapore. Welcome to South Asia Chat, Dr. Arduino. Thank you very much, Claudia, for having me today. Okay, so the first question that we have for you is, recent news have reported that Beijing have asked Islamabad to allow private Chinese companies to provide security to Chinese nationals in Pakistan. However, Pakistan has apparently rejected this request as the country is not ready to allow foreign private companies to operate. The Chinese... Pakistan Economic Corridor, short as CPAC, continues to receive the protection of Pakistani forces. So in this uh, regard, could you speak briefly about the security concerns of China in Pakistan and whether or not there are any existing Chinese private security companies operating in the country and in what capacity? Thank you, Claudia. That's a great question. First, because uh, recently, as you mentioned correctly, uh, there is a lot of talk about Islamabad, uh, not officially, saying no uh, to the increased footprint of Chinese private security company in Pakistan. First and foremost, if we can step back, uh, we can see that since um, President Xi Jinping's very ambitious foreign uh, policy flagship uh, initiative, the Belt and Road, started in 2013, CPEC, uh, Sino-Pakistan Economic Corridor, has been a pillar of this initiative. But China realized early on how investing 63 billion US dollars in Pakistan is not going to shield its worker and its infrastructure from criminal and political violence. This is also an issue all over the Belt and Road Initiative where countries are unwilling or unable to protect Chinese personnel and Chinese investment. In this respect, there has been an increase of discussion on the media about China requesting Pakistan uh, to have uh, more private security company in uh, Pakistan protecting Chinese uh, and uh, Islamabad say no. This is all uh, on an official channel and I do believe in this respect uh, uh, the notion of Chinese private security it can be considered just as a bargaining tool in between the two countries. And why I'm saying this? First and foremost, because Chinese private security operating in Pakistan are already there for many years. For more than eight years, there are a lot of Chinese private security that work all together in cooperation with Pakistan private military private security company in protecting Chinese assets. They are mostly not registered in Pakistan. They do not carry weapons. They subcontract to local uh, provider. And Pakistani private security force uh, 
are quite well established. They know what they are doing. I do believe that the main issue now uh, is the recent killing of a Chinese teacher from the Confucius Institute uh, near Karachi University. This, in my personal opinion, uh, it was a tipping point for Chinese private security company. Beijing want to see uh, an increased footprint. Uh, there is a security vacuum all over the Belt and Road Initiative, and definitely Beijing is not looking to have uh, the PLA, the People Liberation Army, to fill this uh, security gap. Therefore, Chinese private security are the right component uh, in protecting Chinese uh, investment overseas. Having said that, as I said, the, the, the killing of the Chinese teacher of the Confucius Institute was uh, a tipping point uh, uh, because this time uh, the target was not uh, a hard target, was a soft target. Hard target, I mean uh, diplomat, for example, or uh, as it happened in the past, uh, uh, several Chinese workers have been killed. I remember not long ago, less than one year ago, in Dazu power plant, nine Chinese workers were killed. So basically, this talk on the news, uh, uh, in my personal opinion, and let's take it as a gut feeling, uh, is just Beijing uh, officialized his uh, increased concern to the fact that Pakistan military is not able to protect uh, Chinese investment, Chinese worker. But I have to say, it's not an easy task, that's, uh, that's for sure. And at the same point, uh, uh, it's a call inside China to accelerate the professionalization of the Chinese private security company in protecting the Belt and Road, not only in Pakistan, but all over the country, all over the, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah, I remember the recent Karachi bombing and the Dasu hydro plant. Interestingly, the Dasu hydro plant attack, the project was not under CPEC. It was Chinese nationals working under World Bank uh, cooperative venture. So now we can move on to the neighbor, Afghanistan. So in your opinion, if Chinese businesses expand their presence in Afghanistan, what kind of security arrangement could be put in place to protect Chinese workers and projects? Would it be similar to Pakistan's security arrangements for CPEC? And overall, how has China performed in Afghanistan thus far? Now, in Afghanistan, I think uh, the discussion is a little bit different. As, uh, as I mentioned before, there is an increased request for professionalization of Chinese private security, and it's happening. Uh, Chinese private security footprint along the Belt and Road, starting from Pakistan, and especially in the African continent, uh, is increasing in speed, is increasing in volume, is increasing in qualitative term. Afghanistan is another matter. Uh, since the fall of uh, Kabul uh, to the Taliban last August, uh, China uh, is mainly concerned about, uh, is, there is a very high level of anxiety about what's going to happen in Afghanistan. And this also has been underlined when, I do believe, just before the fall of Kabul, uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Wang Yi met with Mullah Baradar in, in Tianjin, if I recall correct, is at the end of July this year. And this, it's a very pragmatic approach that China is having with uh, Afghanistan. While now, basically, all the world attention is focused uh, on Russian invasion of Ukraine, Afghanistan instability, of possible instability, is still a very clear and present danger for China, for Central Asia, and for spillover in other regions. So having said that, China has a very pragmatic approach, what I always like to say in Chinese international relations, I like to call it balanced vagueness. 
It means pragmatic and putting the bet on both sides. This means that this time, contrary to what happened to the first time when the Taliban took power in Kabul, China uh, is more pragmatic in looking how to cooperate with the Taliban, but at the same time uh, is not uh, pushing forward greater BRI investment. There are talk about BRI in Afghanistan. I don't think it's going to happen any soon, except some very daily support uh, in terms of economic uh, support. Because China basically has three main concerns that want to avoid uh, to have negative spillover. And these concerns are, first and foremost, is rise of Islamic terrorism, using Afghanistan as a platform, a jumpstart platform for attacking to mainland China. A new wave of refugee, something that, for example, Iran is experiencing as we speak. And third, uh, that is a little bit below the radar, but is very important for national stability, and not only in China, is the increase of narco-traffic. So having said that, uh, I don't see a uh, possibility any soon for a Chinese private security firm moving to uh, Afghanistan. First and foremost, because there are not this big investment. Even if we look before, when Afghanistan was under the US security umbrella, there were just a limited presence of Chinese private security, mostly around Kabul in Mesainak copper mine. And I don't see this is going to change any soon. Of course, if we are going to see uh, private security uh, moving into Afghanistan, then we have to start to question where the private start and where the public end or vice versa. Yeah, I think that's always um, the interesting question when it comes to analysts of international security. Where does the public start, where does it end, and where does the private start and end? So it nicely bleeds into our third question for you, um, which is analysts and observers are divided on whether the expansion of Chinese private security companies overseas is an indication of direct intervention by the People's Liberation Army, short for PLA. This perspective is driven by the fact that many private security companies in China have ex-PLA members in high positions. What is your take on the relationship between these companies and the PLA, and also by extension, the Chinese government? Look, in this respect, um, if you asked me this question, Claudia, uh, six, eight years ago, uh, it was a time when I was preparing my first book on the topic, China Private Army. My answer would be immediately, these are private company looking uh, as security, as a business model. Uh, having uh, uh, official former uh, soldier from the PLA, uh, and mostly they are composed, of, uh, let's say, half PLA, half PAP, and police force. Also, most of ex-police agents now work for a private security company. Uh, is nothing exceptional. All over the world, private military slash private security company, they employ former soldiers. I mean that to say, not always a, a former soldier, except the one who have a special force training, are the perfect candidate for a private security firm, because they have to operate most of the time alone, they have to take a very quick decision, while they are trained to obey order. So this is also create some issue. Having said that, uh, all over the world, uh, there is this revolving door between the military, uh, the police, uh, and the private security sector. In China, uh, it was made by design. Uh, when the first law, if I recall correct, was in the 1993, uh, was out, uh, only uh, former security officials have the right uh, to request a license. 
Now this is changed. Uh, unfortunately, in 2018, the new law is also asking for a greater role for private security. If a company, especially an SOE, need to go abroad, they need to have uh, uh, a quite important understanding of the security and risk and threat, uh, and they need to work with a private security company that mostly is going to work uh, with a local private security firm, local army, local police, or local militia. So back to your question. Five, eight, slash eight years ago, my answer was straightforward, no. These are private companies. These are companies that are looking to make money out of the security business. And of course, the big question in China, but everything in China, is where the private end and when the public start. Uh, is not only related to private security. But now I'm no more sure about uh, such a black and white answer. Having said that, there are a lot of areas, and as you mentioned before, Afghanistan can be one of these, when a private security firm can be a, a convenient, uh, let's say, uh, entity for deniability. So state don't need to be officially there, but a private security firm more attached to the state security need can be there. So this is also can be looked at a part of the evolution of Chinese private security all over the world. But up to now, I still don't see this PLA hidden agenda in using a private security firm moving all over. And also there are two big issues. One, they are not armed most of the time with some exception of private security firm working on the maritime sector, most of the Chinese company uh, move outside unarmed and they contract armed forces locally. And second, uh, how they link with, uh, with mainland, this is also an issue. Of course, as I mentioned in the 2018 new regulation, it's, it's put black and white uh, that uh, these companies need to provide uh, information, so let's call it intelligence, back to Beijing, but it's also the norm with state-owned companies and, uh, and so on. So I still think this environment is changing, uh, but the link, the direct link between PLA and PSC is just related to the fact that all private security firms all over the world have this kind of link. And also in the, the evolution of risk, and this comes especially out of Pakistan, as we mentioned at the beginning, what Beijing really needs in the evolution of the private security firm is that uh, when they operate in very complex environment, first and foremost, uh, they have, uh, let's say, an exhaustive understanding of the region. But not only talking about risk, also the cultural setting and so on. For example, if you move in Pakistan in area not in Baluchistan or other, where the security threat tells you there is absolutely no problem going there. But then after a month there is an EAD exploding near the camp. Just because probably you don't realize when you have 500 male Chinese workers working in a power plant in a village or in some kind of infrastructure, and they just move out when they relax drinking alcohol in front of veiled women. This can create issue. So that's not the risk that you need to calculate, but also the cultural risk that can stem out of this. And second, and it's most important, uh, and the Chinese private security firm in Pakistan uh, can be basically a litmus test for the other, is how to find uh, the proper security partner locally. How to carry on the due diligence that is going to help to find the right partner, the right security partner. And as I mentioned before, Pakistan have a lot of very high level uh, private military slash private security firm. And this can help uh, uh, Chinese company, not only in Pakistan, but all over the Belt and Road Initiative. Yes, I certainly think that we should really consider uh, whether these companies or 
these Chinese workers in certain more sensitive areas do actually understand the local cultural norms and religious customs as well. So that may be a potent issue of conflict there. Just now you mentioned about um, the professionalism of Chinese private companies and I uh, presume that in the last decade they have been trying to become more professional and some of them have actually received the international certificate that uh, to become more international certified level of security providers. So in this sense, do you now see any differences between the Chinese private security companies and the US or Western ones? Yeah, let's say if we look uh, at the private security firm and not the private military, uh, basically we can see, of course, China uh, in terms of PSC is still a latecomer compared to the American one, to the British one, uh, to the Israeli and so on. It's accelerating its professionalization, so it's changing, uh, but of course uh, it's still a problem of number. If we look at mainland China, there are more than 10,000 company private security firms. And uh, the security official, let's say uh, a rough number, can be around 4 million. But if we look at the ones that are really professional, really able to operate with confidence outside China, we are talking around a dozen, 20 companies most. These companies are professional, these companies have the experience, and especially they have the network. It doesn't mean only working, as I mentioned before, with local armed personnel, but also with, uh, for example, international insurance company in terms to appreciate the risk, to manage the risk, and how to manage a post-risk crisis and this kind of problem. So that's professionalization is working pretty fast. Uh, the main difference, I have to say, with foreign company, and I'm not talking about private military, because private military, they have kinetic action, they do support in training for upgrading military skill, and they do support for weapon platform. Uh, for the private security firm with Chinese characteristic, let's say that, uh, is that they are interested mainly to only one client, and that client is China. While international private firm, uh, they are looking to all over the world, especially now that uh, Iraq and Afghanistan conflict for the West are dwindling in terms of market space. Th th a lot of this company, even American company, they were looking at the Belt and Road Initiative as a possible new market for security. And of course, the big market now is, uh, is the African continent. So having said that, to summarize it, uh, main difference is that they are interested essentially to Chinese client. And of course, uh, that uh, play in their capability for one thing that is mostly overlooked. They speak Chinese. <laughs> this is some of the biggest requirement, especially now that we are looking at this ongoing friction and growing friction between China and the United States. Uh, having an SOE who contract uh, its security protection to a non-Chinese company can create some uh, security issue in terms of where the company information are fl flowing and so on. So contracting directly to a Chinese company don't create this issue. And this is very simple to, to track uh, if you look uh, at advertisement on the website. International private security firms have multiple languages. Of course, Chinese is one of that, English, uh, French, uh, and so on. If you look even at Russian private security, prior to all this uh, media attention that Wagner Group generated, they had Chinese and English language. Mostly the international Chinese PSC, yes, they have something in English, but you can see from the website that the main target is a Chinese audience. 
Yeah, what you mentioned um really hit the spot because I have just looked at Hua Xingzhong An's um, web interface and I could see that it's very predominantly aimed at Chinese companies. And what is interesting is that um with the increased US China geopolitical rivalry and in economic trade as well, I'm certainly sure that a lot of Chinese companies going abroad would rather consider Chinese private companies because they don't want their trade secrets or technology to accidentally leak out as well. On that note about the BRI, how important are these Chinese private companies to the global implementation of the BRI? And what are the challenges that these companies will face in their continued expansion overseas? I mean, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, Beijing finally recognized the role, the important role that Chinese private security are going uh, to operate abroad while abroad. In this respect, uh, I do believe that Beijing in the coming year is going to provide a very detailed regulation about how this company need to behave abroad. Because as I mentioned before, there are a lot of regulation in China since 1993 uh, on how to operate inside China and are extremely detailed. Uh, while how to operate abroad is still uh, just on a guideline uh, that has been written in 2018 and it involved Ministry of Commerce, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and so on. So uh, a better guideline from Beijing on the usual top-down uh, approach that Beijing has is going to promote uh, a better role for the private security in two terms. How they interact with local government, how they interact uh, with Beijing Blue Helmet or even with Beijing Consular uh, Protection Service. Having said that, there is still a huge problem that affects uh, the footprint of the Chinese private security firm abroad. And this problem is still the fact that uh, companies are not looking uh, to pay the right price for security service. High-level security service entire uh, uh, not only international insurance, uh, uh, knowing the cultural problem, uh, the cultural uh, religious sensitivity, uh, but having uh, expert, and this security expert costs money. So the PSC sector in China is still a sector that is raised to the bottom. The one who provided the cheapest service is the one mostly that is going to get uh, the job. Of course, there are exceptions. Exceptions are in the oil and the natural energy uh, sector. Uh, ICT uh, companies in this sector in China know very well that uh, they, they get what they pay, so they get the most professional service. But most of the companies who adventure on the BRI to build infrastructure, they still think that just calling the Chinese consulate is going to solve their problem and this is not going to happen. Or maybe they will spend too much time looking at movie like Wolf Warrior 2 when just showing a Chinese flag is going to protect them from any kind of trouble. That's not the reality. Uh, and when SOEs uh, and especially Chinese private companies are going to realize uh, that paying the right amount of money is going to provide the right security, then it will finally give to the Chinese private security sector the right momentum to expand abroad and to become more professional. Oh, that was a very insightful answer. Thank you so much. And to that, we conclude the podcast for today. You were listening to the South Asia Chat. In the first week of August, ISAS will be holding its annual conference via Zoom. You can get the updates of the event on our website, isas.nus.edu.sg, or from our social media. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you, everyone.